So we have this incredible car culture now. And as a result, we're spending a lot more time in traffic. In the United States in 1982, the average consumer spent 15 hours a year stuck in traffic. Two working days stuck in traffic. That was in 1982. Today, that figure is nearly 50 hours. That's over a working week of your life in a year stuck in traffic. And so we've had all of these services come up to support this car culture. It's very easy now to get fed while you're in your car without having to leave your car. You can do banking while you're in your car without having to leave your car. And should you so choose, you could get married in your car. We have drive-through wedding facilities in the United States. Should you want to elope in an unfortunate manner, come to the United States. Uh, and of course, on the other side of the coin, we have drive-through funeral parlors. So I hope none of us have to use one of those in the near term. As a result of that, we spend an awful lot of time in the car. And while we are in our car, we are, of course, listening to a lot of audio. We do a research series called Share of Ear, which is a single source measure of all audio, online and offline. We typically listen in the United States to about four hours of audio per day. Almost 90 minutes of that is spent in a car. So an hour and a half per day spent listening to audio in the car. That is quite a long period of time. So I'm going to show you two things here. First is the results of a survey that we did. And again, although this is a survey of U.S. consumers and U.S. commuters, think about this in terms of human behavior. I'm going to describe the sample to you as a way to set up the research conditions for the experiment to come, because the second part of this research was quite novel, and we learned something that is, I will say, fairly controversial in the United States, uh, amongst, certainly amongst commercial radio broadcasters. I know earlier somebody made the comment about things happening in the U.S. market serving as an example over here. I come not as an example, but as a horrible warning to something that uh, some entities in the United States have screwed up. And I'm going to show you how that happens. And you have the chance not to screw that up. You have the chance to think about this basic human behavior research I'm going to show you, consider its ramifications, and not go down the same road that a lot of commercial broadcasters have gone down in the U.S. First part of this, we studied 1,117 commuters. They had to drive alone in their vehicle for this study. Too many variables otherwise, kids punching the buttons and so on. Uh, they had to commute for at least 20 minutes. And in fact, I'll, I'll show you a little bit later, the average commuting time in this sample was 35 minutes one way. And for those of you local to this market, that's probably not out of the realm, I would think, for in terms of a, of a commute length. So there's, there's certainly some comparisons you can make there. So the average commuting time was 35 minutes. This was we, basically an average of urban, rural, exurban, all kinds of different environments. And 97% of commuters listen to audio. This is the ultimate captive audience if you were in the audio business. 97% of commuters listen to audio in their car. 3% sulked in silence, strangely, doing nothing except drive. We asked people what they listened to. Now, of course, it should be no surprise that the number one answer here is AM, FM radio. Interestingly, my bars have disappeared on whatever is going on there. Um, how very strange. Well, I'm going to describe them to you. The top one is a really big, long blue bar. Uh, that is most people. Most people listen to AM, FM radio in the car. It is the default. It is the installed user base. It's the universe in which you all play, right? But there are still significant numbers of people 
listening to CD. CD is, I believe, at 62%. The over-the-air AM, FM radio bar is, is well over 90. Um, the CD is still stubbornly hanging on. It's increasingly difficult to buy CDs, uh, but they are still there dangling from people's rearview mirrors and stuck in the console of your vehicle. Uh, in the U.S., though, we are seeing things like digital music files and streaming internet radio approach the 40% range. Now, if those numbers seem high to you, they are high. We don't have that many connected dashboards. You're going to hear a little bit later, I know, from someone who's going to talk about the connected car and the connected dashboard. It's not really what I'm talking about. The number of true connected dashboards in the U.S. as a percentage of people owning them is still quite small. People are finding other ways. And what we see and what you do not see in these apparently invisible blue bars, which I really wanted to show you because they're really blue, is that we're finding other ways to consume audio in vehicles that are beyond what even the car was designed for. The car has become the ultimate accessory to the phone, not the other way around. The car is the accessory to the phone. So people are listening to multiple different audio sources now. What we find is that most commuters listen to three or more different audio sources. So they're going back and forth. It might be listening to AM, FM radio and then popping in a CD. It might be changing stations on Pandora, which you don't have here in this market, or Spotify. So there's all kinds of different uh, audio consumption patterns happening. And that's being driven by the phone. 61% of commuters say they have used a mobile device to listen to audio during their commute. This is many, many times more than the number of actual connected dashboards, right? And in many cases, it's not that the phone is even being connected to the car. And I'll point out some data on that in a minute, but we're still listening to them. We're listening to them perhaps in unsafe ways, but we are still listening to our mobile phones in the car. We asked people, do you ever listen to audio on a mobile device via your car's audio system? It's amazing that these blue bars just did not show up on this, but I'm going to talk about the data because I know it cold. That's my job. About half of the people who listen to mobile phones in their car do so through their car's audio system. About half. Now, again, there are not a lot of connected dashboards. The top answer here for how they do it, and if you look here at the black bar, the auxiliary jack is number one here at about 52%. So about 52% of people who say they listen to audio in their car are plugging in an auxiliary jack, just a phono or an audio patch cord. But 48%, which is the other black bar, say that it's Bluetooth that they use. So Bluetooth is increasingly a standard option. That's contradictory. Is standard even on entry-level vehicles. It's become such a push from consumer demand to get Bluetooth that it's, that it's quite high. And then in the uh, sort of charcoal bar here, 29% say the USB port is where they're getting it. So it's through an iPod or an Android connection directly through the USB port. So that's the 49% in the Raven bar here who say that they listen to the car's, their phone through their car's audio system. But there are other means that people are using. Another, about 30%, use the speaker on their phone. They don't connect it to the car at all. They might pop it in their cup holder and listen to audio in the car just through that. So it's not actually even connected to the car. Another 18% say that they use portable speaker of some kind. They bring like a jam box and tape it to the dashboard uh, to listen to audio from their phone. And then another 18%, sadly, are wearing their headphones while they're driving. Don't you ever do this. <laughs> you know, I, I, don't know, I don't know what happened here, why none of these bars are showing up, but I'm going to skip it because it's not really what I want to talk about. 
The point of all of this data is people are finding ways to consume various options in their car beyond what their cars are even capable of. There's pent-up demand. There's pent-up demand for choices. There's pent-up demand for options. AM, FM radio is still the king of the car, and not by a little, and probably even more so in, in this continent. But that doesn't mean that there isn't pent-up demand for other things. And I think some of the lessons that we learned in the panel before us uh, about compelling talk content and podcasts are very relevant here. You can't podcast music, certainly, in the United States, or a lawyer will shoot you in the face, so we don't do that. Uh, but there's an awful lot of non-music content that we can put on to kind of compete in this space, the space that Spotify is entering into, the space that Deezer is entering into, or Pandora in the United States. Throughout this research, we discovered that there were three kinds of commuters. There were the restless, there were the seekers, and there were the keepers. And you can see the percentages here. About half the sample are seekers. They exhibit kind of average switching behavior in terms of how many things they listen to and how often they switch. There are the restless, about one in five, and they're constantly switching. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about them in a moment. And then there are 27% who we segmented as keepers. They tend to stick with one or two options in the car and don't change that very often. A little bit more about them. The restless index slightly higher as women. They're not exclusively women, but they index slightly higher as women. They index more on the young end. And a couple of other things about this group. They switch a lot. They're more likely to listen to traditional AM, FM radio than the other segments. And some of that is economic. Again, keep in mind, they're younger. Many of them are on their first car. And those cars aren't necessarily equipped with all of the whistles and bells that allow them to connect their smartphones to it. So they are listening a lot to AM, FM radio. And they are switching a ton. They're switching a ton for two reasons. Number one, commercial avoidance, right? And, and I'm going to touch upon that in a minute. Uh, they are constantly avoiding commercials. And we're going to get to that and quantify that behavior. But the other is they're also more active music listeners. And so they are more actively managing their audio experience, constantly searching for the better song, constantly searching for the song they want to hear, right? They're more lean forward. I don't want to lean forward too much or I will cause more feedback. But in my own way, I will lean forward. As opposed to being lean back and just content to put on a station and leave it there. So those are the restless. Uh, the seekers, again, about half the sample, uh, they occasionally switch. They index a little bit more highly as men. They index to be a little more middle-aged. And they have the shortest commutes, interestingly enough. They also are the most likely to purchase a new car in the next 6 to 12 months. And what we learned from this research is that the desire to get some, a car that had some ability to connect to their phone or have some kind of connected dashboard experience was enormously important to this group of people. So again, there's pent-up demand to have access to options in the car. And then the final group I'll touch on uh, briefly are keepers. Keepers rarely switch. They index more highly, again, as men, 55+. Plus, and they're also wealthier. The interesting thing about them is that even though they switch less than the other segments, they have access to more options. This is the group that actually is most likely to have options for a connected dashboard, to be able to get internet radio in their car, to be able to listen to podcasts in their car. They have more options, but they switch less often. If that seems counterintuitive to you, consider it this way. 
with access to so many options, you are more likely to be able to get exactly the content you want in that setting. And so you're happy with that. It's not more options does not lead to more switching. In fact, fewer options leads to more switching. Now, when a commercial comes on AM, FM radio during your commute, how many of you are with commercial broadcasters? Okay. Here is the horrible warning. When a commercial comes on AM, FM radio, what do you do? 29% say, first of all, they don't switch at all. 29% of our sample said, we leave it there, we listen to the entire block of commercials. And if you've ever listened to US radio, that's an incredible statement. <laughs> because some of the commercial, the spot load on US radio stations can approach 20 minutes. It's really, the research term for it is bad. <laughs> now, another 23% say they tune away immediately. 23% say, I don't even listen to one commercial. I tune away immediately. I want you to remember that 23% figure because it's going to come back in an interesting way when I get to the second part of this research. But nearly one in four say, I don't hear any commercials. Another 25% say that they've listened to at least part of a commercial. So they might hear that first commercial in a spot set, in a stop set, right? They'll hear that first commercial in a pod, uh, at least part of it, but not the rest. And then another 23% say they listen to at least one commercial, maybe more, but not the whole thing because that's that 29%. So when you add all of those categories in the left up, that's 71% of commuters exhibit some kind of advertising avoidance behavior. And for those of you in the audience who are non-commercial broadcasters, keep in mind that what a listener perceives as an ad is anything that interrupts the thing that they really wanted to listen to. This is an important distinction for non-coms also. Why do you switch the station when you're listening to the radio in your primary car? The top two reasons are commercials and don't like the song. This is number of mentions, not percentages. So 314 people said commercials, and another 290 said don't like the song. We heard a lot of that with the restless, these younger listeners who were more actively managing their experiences. Now, the second part of this experiment, and I want you to think about the humans that I have just described to you. Maybe you were like those humans, maybe you were not like those humans. But we then subjected those humans to another interesting experiment. We wanted to see what they actually do in their cars, at least related to audio. Again, what you do in your spare time. So we conducted this interesting experiment. We picked a sample of 101 commuters all across the United States. We sent them GoPro cameras and instructions on how to mount them in their car. We asked them to mount the camera directly at whatever their entertainment option was. So if it was an AM, FM radio, they pointed it at the radio. If it was something they listened to off their smartphone, we had them angle it down to their smartphone. Whatever their entertainment option was, we asked them to take us with them on a typical commute. And so we met all of these wonderful people in this process. You can hear some of the audio that we have here in the background. That's good. That's going to be really loud, I bet. Or not. Uh, so we had 101 drivers. Some of them were city drivers. Some of them were country drivers, rural, exurban, of all shapes and sizes. We had them introduce themselves to us. They mounted the cameras in their car, and they took us for a ride. And we watched everything that they did. We watched all of their switches. We watched everything they listened to. And we coded it. We watched all of this video back. 
and we coded it to basically categorize every single interaction that they did in their typical commute. Again, about a 35-minute commute. I, I did not do this, but we killed several interns. Uh, some of them are quite nice, too. I'll miss them. But they, and they did really good work. So we had all of this great video, all of this great data of people in cars switching, not switching, what they were listening to. Uh, and we coded all of this. We added up all of those switches. And I'll just, yeah, there you go. 1,784 switches in 3,000 minutes of video. The average commute saw 18 switches. And I'm going to break that down in a couple of ways in just a moment. But 18 switches in an average 35-minute commute. Again, this is more about human behavior, I think, than U.S. behavior. Think about your average commute. Think about what you do. Some people have questioned that. Like, how can, that, how can there be so many switches? But think about the average car radio. It's probably got five physical presets. It's really quick at a stoplight when you're hearing something you don't want to listen to to take a quick scan. And that's four or five switches right there. So 1,784 switches over nearly 3,000 minutes of video, manually coded 18 switches on average during your commute. Now, we split that into two buckets. Bucket one were people who listened to AM, FM radio. And bucket two were the people who listened to anything else that could have been internet radio, that could have been podcasts, that could have been their own music coming from their phone, that could have been a CD, it could have even been an 8-track, should you have one. And here is the big takeaway. If you listen to AM, FM radio, you switch 22 times in an average commute. If you listen to everything else, that number is significantly less, 9.3. Now, this is the horrible warning part, right? These are the ramifications of running 15, 18 minutes of spots. These are also the ramifications of running terrible spots, of not taking the same care with the non-content elements because everything is content. Everything is content, whether you're a commercial broadcaster or a non-commercial broadcaster. Now, it's not just content-driven that causes this, and I'll touch upon that when I get to my closing remarks here. But remember earlier I told you that 23% of the, of the commuters in our first study said that they switched immediately when they heard a commercial, just immediately avoided it. Here's what we observed in the second part, in the video component of this. The percentage of people who switched the second that content changed to ads on AM, FM radio, 24%. That's an incredible validation of the survey component of this. I mean, the fact that those two numbers are almost in lockstep is incredible. So that, I believe, is a number you can take to the bank. One in four, don't hear any. Now, commercials are still being heard. Of course they are. There's 71%, 29% uh, say they listen to all of them, and then to varying degrees, other commercials are heard. But it does change how we think about presenting the non-content elements on our stations and challenging our assumptions about peop what people will and will not sit through. I'm going to skip forward here. 58% of those who intend to purchase a new car in the next six, six to 12 months say that it is important to them to have an in-dash entertainment system in their car of some kind, right? The genie is out of the bottle here. Once you have been exposed to having more choices, you want those choices. Once you've had them, people don't go backwards. And so the question is, how do we compete in that environment? And again, you have a lot of opportunity in this market and in, in this whole continent to avoid many of the mistakes that have been made in commercial radio and other parts of the world. 
So I want to sum all this up, and then I'll take a few questions. Uh, the in-car audio space right now is very dynamic. It has changed more in the past 10 years than in the entire human history of the automobile. It's changed an awful lot. The mobile phone has changed it. The mobile phone is the centerpiece of the in-car entertainment system. Yes, there are some cars out there that have built-in Wi-Fi, but again, the car is just an advanced accessory for the phone now. And people are using it that way. They're demanding that access in their car. They're demanding access to the types of content that they want to get, that kind of control and convenience and choice that come with those options. And so we have to be very compelling. We have to understand that this space is going to change very rapidly, no matter what market you're in. I'm going to talk tomorrow about podcasts, uh, and I'm learning a lot that's going to go into that talk as I, as I listen to some of your, your questions and challenges. I think podcasts are a wonderful option for this part of the world because unlike streaming, you don't need to use a ton of data, right? You can just, it, when you're on campus connected to Wi-Fi, you can download a week's worth of listening and walk. And training people in that, I think, is, is, is pretty crucial. I mentioned before that it's not just commercials and bad songs that leads to a lot of switching. Some of the human behavior behind the fact that people switch more listening to AM, FM radio than they do other things is because it's easier to switch. It's very easy. There's five physical buttons, right? If you switch what you're listening to on your smartphone while you're driving, you could die very quickly. So don't, don't do that. So it is... Switching is not as common when switching is difficult. Now that is going to change as technology evolves. It will become easier and easier to switch the non-AMFM elements in your vehicle. That's where everything is headed. So as switching becomes easier to do, switching behaviors increase. And that's true of everything. So that eventually will put everybody on equal footing. And it will be the compelling content regardless of the technology delivering it that is going to win. So the last two things I will ask you to think about here are to innovate audio because you have the chance and the opportunity to do so. Again, there are, there are a lot of commercial broadcasters in the United States that have built their business model around a frightening number of commercials, a withering torrent of commercials. And for some of them, they're going to have some difficult choices to make as they attempt to compete with other models stations that are being brought to you online that don't have that infrastructure, right? But you have the opportunity to innovate not just your content, but also the non-content elements of your station. Your commercials, your promotions, anything you're doing that is not the content people signed up for. I would like to believe that we take as much care of the non-content elements of that programming clock as we do the content elements. Because to the listener, it's all content. It is all content. And the area of audio and radio in particular that has innovated the least in my lifetime has been the commercial. Commercials are terrible. They don't need to be terrible. How many of you watch videos on YouTube? We'll start there. Now, how many of you skip once you can? I'm about to rest my case here, but I will say this, that there are, there are innovators in that space. There are advertisers like Geico, and I, I don't know if you've seen some of those, where they do something really, really funny in that first five seconds, and then there is a payoff if you watch that other 25, but if you don't, you still got it, right? There's innovation in commercial, innovation in advertising, because it is all content. 
And we as programmers and as radio people, we put all this great care into the content, whether it's talk or music that we're offering. Every link has to be high quality. And then we punch over to a terrible screaming car commercial or a really poorly produced local business commercial. It doesn't need to be that way. If I had 10 million to invest, that's where I would invest it. I would invest it in creativity in the commercial space if I were a commercial broadcaster. I would invest it in people who understand branding and understand the goals of the advertiser, understand the goals of the buyer, and try to produce an entertainment around those things. Or we're going to put ourselves out of business one switch at a time. And that's something for everybody in this room, again, commercial or non-commercial, because I've listened to a lot of clutter on non-commercial stations. And all of that clutter can be masked by the kind of research that we all get, which again is fairly low resolution. A diary comes out and said that a lot of people listened to our station that hour, but how did they listen to our station in that hour? What was their specific behavior? Understanding those specific behaviors, I hope, will drive innovation for everybody in this room because nothing has changed more quickly than the car in the past 10 or 15 years. 15 years ago, that was a car dashboard. It was a radio and a CD player. 15 years later, you can but should not do a Google search in your car while you're driving on a Tesla dashboard. That's the speed at which these things have innovated. You all in this room have a wonderful opportunity to not make some of the mistakes that other commercial broadcasters have made, to understand what a fast twitch environment means, what the implications of that environment are, and how you can serve a fast twitch audience both over the airwaves and elsewhere to keep them engaged however they want to be engaged. And with that, I will stop and I will take some questions. Thank you. I don't know how much time I have, but... Nailed it. Hello. Okay. Hi, uh, my name is Shwe Shwe. I work at the SABC, SABC Radio News. So I have two questions for you. Mm -hmm. um, you talked about um, driverless cars and the dashboard. And I do have a question and maybe a concern. With the driverless cars coming in, in your view, mm -hmm. Are you seeing a change in radio listening patterns um, where I'd be sitting in the back of the car and would not, so I can do, I can watch videos now, I can do a lot more? Yeah. Or, you know, is that going to change the way people listen to radio, which threatens my job as a mm -hmm. morning show producer? And then <laughs> you, you then also talked about clutter. So if you could just help me with that, you're saying that you're hearing a lot of clutter on commercial stations and non-commercial stations. So what is this clutter that you're talking about in your view? Thank you. Yeah, so, uh, boy, that's a deep question. What is clutter? Um, if you are listening to a music station, clutter is anything that is not the song I wanted to hear and something engaging about that from an engaging presenter. And what I, you know, what I hear in market after market, it's true in the United States, by the way, very true in the United States, uh, are a lot of non-content elements being introduced. And you, you might look at your clock and you might say, well, we're just doing, we're only doing six units an hour. But how many promotions is your station also doing? You know, how many uh, sort of either internal promotions or contests and all of these other things that you're doing, it all adds up to the kind of non 
what you might consider non-content elements, but what to a listener is, is all the content. Um, and what I am suggesting is that research like this should challenge us to rethink how many things we put together in an hour, how long our commercial pods are, how many promotions that we run in an hour. Because it used to be, and I don't want you to feel worried about your job. I want you to feel a little worried about your job. <laughs> Not a lot worried about your job. But radio used to be like a snow globe, right? Everything was internal, you know, a snow globe. You shake it up and it all settles inside. But it settles back within the globe. A radio station changes format. It blows off some old listeners. It welcomes some new ones. Other stations meet the challenge and pick up some of that audience. It settles back within the globe. The snow globe is broken. There's no snow globe anymore. We are, we are not special snowflakes. And what that means is that we have to dramatically rethink how much advertising and how many promotions and how long we talk about things that may not be interesting to the listener. And how do we know whether or not those things are interesting to the listener? Are we doing that work? How many of those things can we string together in an hour before somebody goes to a podcast, before somebody goes to Spotify, before somebody goes to blissful silence to get away from that clutter? Uh, because the snow globe is broken. And again, you have a wonderful opportunity to rethink those things. You're rewriting the rules and writing them as you go along. Please do not put 20 minutes of commercials on the air. Think about what you're competing with. And the, the other thing I will point out about this is when radio was confined to a set-top box, its own special thing, and things like Spotify and podcasts were confined to a different thing, you judge them differently. You're willing to make the advertising bargain, as I call it, with this set-top box. Like, all right, I understand the deal on that set-top box. I give it my attention for so many commercials, and I get free music that I like. But on the smartphone, what happens is they're all mixed together. I can listen to an AM, FM station, and I can listen to a podcast, and I can listen to commercial-free Spotify. The ad bargain is different. I judge them all equally now. And that's something that we all have to consider. I wanna, I'll stop here because I think there's another question. I'm Steve Martin from the BBC and a former producer of Clutter. So, um, Hi, Steve. Hello. Uh, I'm interested to know um, if there's any evidence in the research that you've seen that the forward promotion techniques, the hooking and teasing delivered by a skilled broadcaster can mitigate some of these negative effects of high ad load. So we, we plan to expand this, this research to do a much larger sample with the video, and we're going to be able to get into that uh, kind of resolution. So we didn't, we didn't dig that deep with this study. This was more a high level, are you switching and what are you switching to? Um, the next phase of this will be larger and we'll have more content analysis like that. Uh, on the one hand, there's no question that a skilled presenter can maintain the forward momentum of a station. There's no question in my mind. I hear it. I've heard some of the greatest in the world. Can you hire them? Do you have access to them? You have to play the hand you're dealt. And that's, that's ultimately what everybody has to consider in this room. Greetings. I'm Lange Lichtersule from Ecore FM. 
Um, my question is, as you are um, telling us about how the latest um, trends with, with looking at the digital dashboard, if you like, um, and coming into Africa, how do we then bridge the gap in terms of the differences? Because there's still a large number of, of, of people, or cars rather, we, we, with not so many controls that you are telling us about, um, and, and a digital dashboard. So how do we then bridge the gap as broadcasters, um, taking into consideration the fact that there's this differences between the consumers with the latest, uh, driving the latest BMW, as well as the one driving the old Ford, for mm -hmm. example. Yeah. yeah, that's why I'm saying you have this incredible opportunity, because I, I, you know, I come to you as the ghost from a terrible Christmas future. <laughs> right? You have this incredible advantage right now as a terrestrial broadcaster, because you don't have this proliferation, this, you know, all of these cars in the market that have all of this uh, access and you know, unlimited broadband. You don't have that. And so there are a couple of things you can do, but I would suggest that whatever you do, you understand and prepare for the future. And if you build a business model that requires 15 minutes of clutter on the air, that will sustain you for a finite period of time. And then you will need to burn the furniture to keep warm. So again, my advice to you is to make, make the money now, get the audience now, but don't forget where it's going and where it will go at some point in this market and in this continent. Well, and, and you have time, but you don't have unlimited time. So learn from the mistakes of U.S. broadcasters. black bars that you had. Um, one of the interesting things that I'd like to find out where you say the auxiliary jack was the most used, mm -hmm. is it because of the barrier to entry for using other technologies, maybe was, i.e. was that available to the person in the vehicle, Bluetooth, um, you know, smart dashboards, is it because of the barrier to entry? I, I, I would suspect in our context a lot of those vehicles that may have Bluetooth or um, other things are probably ignored because people know how to plug in an audio jack into a phone. Yeah. So, um, so do you, did you factor that into your research? Yes, we did. And, and again, the, uh, the audio jack and Bluetooth were nearly tied. Um, and, so, and the question was, have you ever? So there's some crossover there. 
right? 52% said they have ever used an aux jack. 48% say they've ever used Bluetooth. Uh, those aren't exclusive. That's people doing a little bit of both. Some of that's driven by if they're listening to music from their own audio collection, their own MP3s, they don't want to use data. So they might just plug in and, and do it that way. But um, yeah, it, people do it multiple ways is, is the point. So, and they're finding ways to do it. I'll try to cut off my answer there. There's one last quick question. Yes. Hello, I'm uh, Priscilla from uh, Radio Plus Mauritius. I would like to know if a um, commercial break of uh, three minutes during news time, uh, is that okay or is that too much? Because, uh, you know, we are a private radio station and we depend uh, very much on uh, advertising. Mm -hmm. So is it okay three minutes or is it too much during news time? Yeah, um, I don't know what your, you know, what kind of a rating system that you have or what kind of audience research, but to me, the audience will always tell you. The audience is the canary in a coal mine. Um, and, when, and they will tell you when they've had enough. And, and their, their experience is going to be to measure your offering versus the other offerings that they get. And they will tell you when you have broken that ad bargain. You've just got to always be monitoring that. You've got to do some kind of research because, again, you're sort of like that, uh, that tired cliche of the frog put in a pot of water that's slowly turned up to boil. The heat is on right now. And when you know that you're burned, it's too late. So thank you very much. Thank you.